This is the Clarity Call, episode 17, A Bump in the Road, an interview with the Dahlbergs, part one. Welcome to the Clarity Call, a podcast which provides encouragement and guidance to parents overwhelmed with the responsibilities of raising a child with special needs or has a medically complex diagnosis. Gain an enlightening perspective that helps dispel feelings of fear, uncertainty, or exhaustion as you venture into a life of peace, joy, and clarity. You're now on the Clarity Call with Alicia and Kimberly. everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We're so glad you're here today. It's good to be back. Another week. Here we go. Yeah. So if you're new to our podcast, The Clarity Call, welcome, welcome. And I'm Kimberly. And I'm Alicia. And we are sisters. Together we have uh, 16 children. Wow. Sounds a little crazy like that, huh? (laughs) We're crazy. I only have four of those. Yeah, so what does that tell you? Yeah, there you go. She got a dozen. dozen. Um, Anyways, between us, six of those children are considered medically complex or special needs. So we uh, live in that lifestyle and have uh, started this journey to clarity to work on our mindset, to strive to overcome overwhelm, exhaustion, fear, worry, and live a life more full of peace joy and clarity. Today we are super excited because we get to interview the Dahlbergs and before we do that we will give you a reality check like we do at the beginning of every episode. So this week is a super positive exciting reality check for me and my family and especially my sweet Jocelyn who's my uh, six-year-old autistic daughter who also has um, epilepsy She has brain small vessel disease, so she has lots of strokes throughout her brain. She's um, severely developmentally delayed, and she has a vision impairment. It's called a cortical vision impairment, and so we see the eye doctor on a regular basis, and at our visit before this last one, he tried to kind of start mentally preparing me that she was going to need to patch because one of her eyes was wandering in and she was going to probably end up in glasses. So I did the thought work around it and decided it was going to be okay. And whatever challenges came our way, we were going to have exactly what we needed to get through it. And then we went to check back in with him to see what he thought. And her eyes are working very well together still. So we don't have to start patching and we don't have to do glasses. And it was like this huge celebration, amazing miracle for me. And her eye is still wandering in. It's just not um, creating a problem for her eyes working together, which I guess is typically what happens when one of the eyes starts wandering in. So we're just super blessed that we don't have to fight that battle, at least yet. And that's so, awesome. I know. And if anybody knows this girl, she loves glasses. Oh, and goodness. I can't even imagine what it will be like if that day happens that she's got to wear them because <laughs> I can imagine a lots of broken pairs of glasses. I know. We were like, okay, are there indestructible glasses? Because <laughs> she will need them because she loves glasses. I know. That's awesome. Well, today, our friends, we have some awesome, awesome people with us, Kim and Ryan Dahlberg. And I have to tell you, how I met them really quickly. Oh, well, first, we have to welcome you. People have to know that you're here. 
thanks for having us. We're excited. Thank you. It's going to be exciting. Um, so we, back when we lived in Manti, we would go to a Rat Fink reunion Manti held every year. If anybody wants to research Rat Fink, you'll find a whole other world there. But we would go and celebrate with our good friends, um, Amber and Cody Braithwaite, there at Rat Fink. And this particular year, they were doing a um, benefit fundraiser dinner for uh, Ryan Dahlberg. Well, of course, I didn't know who this human was at this point in time. And as we walk in, I catch this poster. I see this poster at the end of the sidewalk, and I felt this magnetic pull to, you have to go there. You have to be there. You have to go and see what's going on. And, you know, I don't mind being in the know, but it felt a little too magnetic. It was like, I have to just see what's happening in this family. Now, mind you, I didn't realize until I saw the pictures that I worked at the garden center with Kim's children. And not knowing that, I was trying to hurry and put the framework together. And these kids are absolutely remarkable. And so when you have remarkable children, you need to know who the remarkable parents are, of course, by nature. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we just sit there and, and I just read his information really quickly. I didn't know much more than that. But as time has gone on, it's been maybe two years since then. I can't remember exactly, but year and a half, a year and a half. And, um, and I tell you what, I just, before we moved here to Texas, I had to go and it almost, I was telling him yesterday, it seemed a little selfish, but I had to go and get these bracelets. They do this faith over fear campaign or way that they choose to live their life. And, and I love it. And I have actually just brought that into my own moral standing and this journey that my family has been on moving here to Texas to be with Kimberly and her angels has been a um, journey of faith and Man, it's fabulous. It's been so wonderful. So we're excited to have you. We're excited to hear about your story. And um, and from that, I'm just going to let you take over. Ryan and Kim, thank you again for being with us and helping us learn more about your lives and your journey. Well, thank you very much for, for having us. We, I mean, as you know, we're very vocal on social media about our lives and our experience. And to be honest, it's a little uncomfortable for us because we like, we like to be home. We're homebodies. But... Uh, Ever since I was diagnosed with cancer two years ago, we've just had this feeling that we need to share our experience, that there's some reason why we're going through it, and we want we want to help people if we can. And uh, so that's sort of, I guess, where this whole Faith Over Fear campaign came from. Um, but as far as who we are, uh, we met six years ago almost, uh, online dating, of course, uh, eHarmony, that's mm-hmm. the way to go. Um, <laughs> And uh, before I met her, I, I had no desire to marry somebody that had kids. Um, and then God said, you're getting old and you're not going to have your own. <laughs> so, so you need to change your ways. So I said, okay. And then within months, I found Kim and we just clicked within six months or six weeks of our first date. We were engaged and uh, we've been married for about five years now. And uh it's been a wild adventure to say the least. Um, but, um, we love it. We've grown so close to each other and we just, we have a lot of fun. That's awesome. Tell us how many kids you have to Kim. You brought the kids to the marriage. So tell us uh, about your kids. So I was married, um, beforehand and my ex-husband and I had four kids together. Um, my oldest is almost 20. And um, my youngest will be turning 16 in March. 
and uh, Ryan has been great to just step up to the plate and help me raise these kids. It's been a challenge to say the least to um, bring our families. I mean, Ryan didn't have kids of his own, but it was a struggle in the beginning to have him come in and try to parent teenagers. And we, we had a lot of uh, moments that we had to work through. Um, but he's, he's really, he takes the calling very seriously. You know, he, he said, I didn't just marry you. I, I was marrying your kids as well. And, and so he's, he's, he's very much, he just takes it very seriously. It's an important calling to him to make sure that he's helping me and teaching the kids and, and helping them grow and, and becoming their very best people. That's awesome. Well. You know, we get that because we both are in our second and final marriage and have uh, blended families. Mine is more like yours because I married a man that didn't have any kids. And so it is, it's challenging to have someone else parenting your kids. It's not their dad. I mean, it's hard to have their dad parenting them, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> that just brings a whole new layer. And then you have, uh, if you're, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us some more exciting news about kids. So, uh, Kim is pregnant with triplets at the moment. <laughs> I have to have you know, Kim, I brought tissues today because I wasn't sure where this was going to go. And <laughs> I haven't cried cry. on this. I haven't cried yet. I've got my box right here. <laughs> I'm feeling your mama hormones, but anyway. So uh, we're obviously beyond excited, but we did. So Kim got pregnant through IVF. Uh, after her fourth kid, she had her tubes tied because that was all that they wanted. And, uh, when, when we got married, kids wasn't something that I wanted at all. Um, I know that that probably sounds harsh and, and whatever, but I've never been a big baby fan. I didn't hold my first baby until I was 26 years old, and the kid was forced on me. Um, <laughs> so babies terrify me, but um, and we can talk about this a little bit more, but over the course of the last four and a half years, there's just been, God's been working on us to say, hey, this is what you need to do. So... We went the IVF route. We didn't expect it to work given her age and what the fertility doctor had said. And then, bam, we're having triplets. So it's been a whirlwind of, a, what, two months now, I guess, since we found out that she was pregnant. So, yeah, because right, right uh, after you found out that you were having triplets right after you just had your brain surgery, right? My brain surgery, yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, crazy world. So let's back up for just a minute, um, Ryan, and you probably, we probably jumped ahead. Sorry, we didn't mean to, but let's go back to, um, cause when we start off our podcast, we talked about the reality of a diagnosis. So here you're in a new marriage, you've got the future ahead of you. Um, you know, everything looks uh, other than the struggle of just being a new parent and you know, you naturally, and then Kim just, yay, I've got some help here life feels good, you know, normal struggles. And then what happens? Uh, well, life was turned upside down to say the least. Uh, for the majority of my life, I was a very scrawny kid. I'd I'd wear long sleeve shirts and hoodies all through the summer because I was sort of embarrassed of how toothpicky my arms were. And, uh, May of 2017, I dedicated myself to working my hardest to change my body. And come May of 2018, I was doing 100 pull-ups during a workout session. I was in the best shape 
of my life. I felt on top of the world. And, uh, and then in August, I found a lump in my armpit. And uh, we went to the doctor. And he said, oh, this is probably nothing. Let's have an ultrasound done. And so we did. And he said, I don't see any blood flow to this. So it doesn't look serious to me. Um, but I just had this thought that I needed to pursue this more. So I called my grandma. Her brother's an oncological surgeon. And he said, I want you in my office tomorrow so I can look at it. So we drove up and he looked at it and he said, I'm 95% sure this is just benign. That there's no issues, but it needs to come out. So two days later, he, he cut this lump out of my armpit and uh, it came back cancerous. And uh, at the time, we, we figured it was in a lymph node. So we thought this is probably lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which my grandpa had, had. And we thought that's a fairly, you know, that's a cancer that you can tackle fairly easily. And I, I say that in quotes because there's, I don't think there's anything easy with dealing with cancer. But the biopsy came back as metastatic melanoma. And uh, uh, we did a PET scan just a, a couple of weeks later, and it came back as stage four melanoma. Oh, man. Uh, so here I am, 31 years old. We've been married for three years. I was in the best shape of my life, and now I have stage four cancer. And uh, I'll be honest and say, I knew what melanoma was, but I didn't understand the statistics behind it melanoma and so I'm calling all my family to tell them what it is and everybody's crying and and I it's really not registering with me and, and finally Kim says don't you get how serious this is and I said no I'd better pull this up <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we googled it and the, the statistics which I can talk about later I don't really care about that they say that you know stage four you've got about a 15% chance to live five years and so uh, that kind of put things into perspective for me as to what we were up against, I, I guess, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, hold on. Sorry. Real quick. We have the same thought. No, I don't think so. Because I actually just really love that you said you don't super care about what the statistics say. Because I'm telling you, my miracles keep coming regardless of what statistics say. So I'm so grateful. I just wanted to point that out. I hope everybody heard. Don't super care about statistics, people, because that is not where the miracles happen. Awesome. No, it it's not. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, so I, I, th I think you probably want to know how I responded to this. And uh, I'll be honest and say, I think I said to Kim, this is just a bump in the road. Like, I'll, I'll be honest and say that I don't think at any point over the course of the last two years have I thought to myself, I'm going to die. Why do and, you think that uh, is, though? Why do you think that you never went there? Uh, so, uh, um, Alicia had asked me about to think about my turning point, and this has always been fairly simple for me. In December of 2017, I was called to be the eldest corn president. And uh, I'll be honest, at the time, my scripture study was paltry. Uh, my prayers were just sort of routine, and uh, I started to feel this weight on my shoulders that I wasn't worthy of the calling that I had been asked to fulfill. And so I dedicated myself every single day to truly studying and communicating with, with God. And uh, I'd also had this desire to study the Bible. And uh, I think that 
all too often, I mean, obviously we should focus on the Book of Mormon, but there's so much in the Bible that, that bears fruit. And I learned so much about God's timing and uh, just that when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And uh, anyway, so over the next, you know, seven months after making that decision, I just studied and immersed myself. And so when, when that diagnosis came, I just thought, huh, it's in God's hands. And uh, I think there's so much out of our control that I went from being a control freak to just saying, okay. So good. Yeah, oh. that's that's one of them right there. That's one of our, our tools is just realizing that we cannot control anything, any person, any circumstance, anything. So Kim, but I want to know, where did your mind go? As soon as you realize, here I've got this sweetheart, it's all new, it's all exciting, and then what? You get a diagnosis, and how does that look for you? Oh, um, I think the beginning was just such a whirlwind. Like, we immediately just started researching, and it was so overwhelming. Um, I'm terrible at these interviews. <laughs> You're doing awesome. It's emotional. Thank you for sharing that vulnerability with us. We, we so appreciate it. Um, Brian was so good about being calm and just saying, I'm going to be fine. And I think that really provided a lot of comfort for me that he was so, um, comfortable, I guess. Um, in the beginning, we both had some priesthood blessings that just provided so much comfort and so much hope. And and uh, I really felt like everything was going to be okay. And so we just kind of dove in. I don't remember being really upset. Um, it just all ha- it seemed like it happened so quickly. Everything was just, I felt like we were just kind of bombarded and everything happened so fast. Um, in the beginning, though, I feel like um, because of the blessing that we'd received, and we've received guidance as far as like the kind of treatment that he should do. I almost felt like overconfident that everything was just going to be fine. And, and I think it was a huge learning opportunity for both of us because we kind of just thought we've been directed. We're going to go to Mexico and he's going to get treatment and everything's going to be fine. And I think we were really just kind of, oblivious to a lot of how how serious it was like he was well we were putting like this cream on his um like this medicine on his tumors that he had about 130 of them on his body at the time and so every night before bed we'd put it on and we'd count them and we'd laugh and I mean we just made a lot of jokes throughout the process too just I think that's how we we handle things a lot of the, the time but um, I, I just I'm not sure help me out I'm, well everyone has coping coping mechanisms in a different way I just had a friend here this last week and she said the same she sees how Mike and I interact and sometimes we think oh well, that's weird but sometimes we just have to laugh through things or tease, tease each other or, you know, because you can get too serious and it can really get you down otherwise, you know. That's why we did our would you rathers. That's the whole point. You know, before 
Brian had had the surgery <laughs> and had it removed, but we hadn't heard yet if it was cancerous. And my daughter and I went for a walk one night and she said, Mom, I'll just die if Ryan has cancer. And I said, no, sweetheart, Ryan will be the one dying if he has cancer. <laughs> and she's like, that's terrible. <laughs> that's just kind of how we've always operated. You know, I, mm-hmm. I never thought that for two seconds, but that's just how we've handled a lot of this with just humor and joking and stuff. But again, in that beginning phase, I think that we were both just like, God's with us. This is going to be easy. He's, He's told us what to do, and he's just going to, like, he's just going to cure him. Like, that's not the way God works. That's not how, like, what would we learn if it was just, here's this trial, and bam, here's the finish line, and that was easy peasy. You know what I mean? But I think, in my mind, that's kind of how it was going to be in the beginning until I, like, reality set in and things started to get really hard. Um, and, and And then we we started to learn and to grow, especially me. This has been a huge trial phase and a huge opportunity to grow as I mean, any trial is that's what they're, they're here for. You know what I mean? But yeah. That's so huge. You know, the mindset behind any challenge, you know, in this world, we talk about medical challenges quite a bit and your mindset of, Oh man, I'm, I'm going to grow through this. You know, that puts you in such a place to, that you're ready to receive all of the inspiration and guidance to have positive outcomes. You know, when we fall into depression and worry and fear and all of those things, it just stops our progression in learning those lessons and meeting the potential that we're meant to meet through the challenges we receive. Yeah? yeah. Well, I, I think, obviously, in the beginning, we felt, we felt great about stuff. When I said in that I could die, um, obviously you start researching a lot about cancer and you want to find those, those talks by, you know, general authorities that, that they just say, ah, oh, everything's going to be okay. And, uh, I found one by Elder Bednar that really has always stood out with me where he, um, ended up at a hospital and was interviewing a young man that had been married for three weeks and he'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And this young man asked him for a priesthood blessing. And I think that when we go and ask somebody for a priesthood blessing, generally our hope is that the priesthood blessing is going to say, uh, you're going to be healed. Everything's going to be okay. And Elder Bednar, before he gave the blessing, said, I have some questions to ask you. And one of the questions was, do you have the faith to not be healed? And and that resonated with me. And, and, and for me, that just kind of set in my mind that if it's God's will that I'm not healed, I need to be okay with that. Because at the end of the day, God is my heavenly father and he wants what's best for me. He always has my best interest at heart. He's not going to kill me because he doesn't like me. I mean, that's just not how, how he functions. So for me, that that's sort of when the whole faith over fear mantra came about. We were trying to figure out, we wanted to do family pictures and we wanted to put t-shirts on and we wanted them to say something with respect to my cancer diagnosis. And I don't know how many things we threw out there, but faith over fear, I can't remember who came up with it, but we had talked so much about, we, we don't want this trial to, um, to determine and dictate how our lives are run. We want to thrive and live and continue to do what we want to do and be who we are throughout the trial. And so we said that we're going to choose to live our lives with faith and not allow fear to destroy us. And so that's where the faith over fear 
motto came from. That's awesome. Well, and I just need to interject here. Um, so Kim and Ryan live in a town um, in Utah that is about four to 5,000 people maybe, right? Very small rural community that is uh, majority members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's also the religion that Kimberly and I um, are a part of. And so understanding that whatever your um, greater power is out there in the universe, everyone has their God. And knowing that, as we've talked in different podcasts, that when you turn your life over to that, that knowing you're not in control, there's always a greater power in control, whatever that choice is that you choose to turn to, and how that really does bring you that peace that you guys are speaking of now. And so just so that I just wanted to clarify for anybody that might be questioning some of these verbiages that we're using here in a religion that we understand, but knowing that, um, that that's what you've turned to and that you're choosing to feel the love from God or love as a whole, regardless, like we say, fear versus love. What does that look like for you? Well, if you're choosing, in your case, God, you're feeling that love and that takes away that fear that you have. So... Um, so we love that you're that, like Kimberly said, that you're vulnerable, you're willing to share those things that are helping you achieve that peace in your life. And that's really awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So like Kim was saying, um, in the beginning, Kim was doing really, really well. And after we went to Mexico, uh, we came back and slowly the bumps on my body started to grow. It went from one small one that we could barely feel to over the course of a couple of months, over 130 tumors. And of course we don't, we don't realize what's going on. Like, Hey, this cancer is spreading throughout my entire body. Where else is it going? Um, until, uh, one day toward the end of January, I just started, um, uncontrollably vomiting without any nausea and intense headaches. And I couldn't sleep and Kim thought, what's going on? And, uh, she took me to the emergency room on a Wednesday night and, uh, the doctor said, well, we could do an MRI, but what would you do if there was something going on in there? And he was really just kind of dismissive of the fact that I had stage four cancer and there might be something that could be done. So we went home and uh, I didn't sleep at all that night, really. And the next morning my parents came down and Kim said, I need to get him to the emergency room for him for a, a CT scan. And so we got there and I don't, I don't, at this point, I don't even really realize what's going on in my life. I don't remember the majority of what happened at this point. Kim has to remind me of everything that happened, but they did the, the CT scan and uh, my primary physician said, Ryan, when you were diagnosed, were there any brain tumors? And I said, no. And he said, well, we've got a problem then. He said, you have 10 brain tumors. Mm. And he said, it looks like, he said, it looks like two of them have hemorrhaged Oh my gosh. and, and you're going to die if we don't do something about this. So I was put on an ambulance and shipped up to the U of U hospital uh, where I had emergency brain surgery the next day to remove these two tumors that had hemorrhaged. And I think that, that I think for both of us, that's when it really kind of set in as to the seriousness of what we were dealing with. And I think from what I could observe, that's sort of when all of the weight of everything came out from Kim. That, for that second night in the hospital, she just kind of had this mental and emotional breakdown in the middle of the hospital. I think just as the weight of everything started to come out of her. 
Well, yeah, Kim, you've got your mom, you've got these kids at home, you've got a husband in the hospital, who's taking care of your children. I mean, all of a sudden your world just gets torn apart, right? So what are you, what are you feeling? How are you, I mean, take us to that day. If you remember, if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because this is a reality of a diagnosis. And we do talk about this, you know, the day my son was diagnosed with Hirschsprung's not anything near where what you've gone through, Ryan, but he's vomiting in the back seat. And I'm saying, admit us now, because I'm not doing this anymore. Something is wrong and he's going to die. And sure enough, he was right there. Well, you know? My daughter ha- had a full workup for brain surgery and ended up not being a candidate because her strokes were so widespread throughout her brain that there just was nothing they could do about it, which is different than tumors, of course. But yeah, it's, it's scary. So we're there with you. We would love to hear your experience with it. Um, I think when the doctor said things just don't look good, we're going to take him. I went home and I didn't think he was going to make it at that point. And so I was rushing around the house trying to grab, you know, how you're frantically grabbing stuff and throwing a bag and you don't even know what you have. And the kids were there and and so I was trying to explain to them what was going on while I was rushing around because I just you always just feel that need to hurry and get to them mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I was like I need to get in the car but my kids were upset and I remember just bringing all of the kids into the couch in in the living room and we all knelt down and and I said a prayer um with the three kids that are with us. And I just remember that calm coming over all of us. And I didn't know what it, what things were going to look like. I didn't know what I was going to find when I got to the hospital. And there was a friend, one of the kids' friends, mom was taking the kids over to have dinner and, and to take care of them while, while I was gone and, uh, you know, everybody was saying, do you need a ride up to the hospital? And I felt, I felt, uh, pretty good. Like I could drive myself to the hospital, but you know, about halfway there, I just started really have this panic attack. And so I called my mom and I said, just talk to me. I can't breathe. <laughs> and she told me what she had for breakfast and, <laughs> you know, just all this <laughs> random stuff. But I honestly, like, I just didn't know what to expect when I got to the hospital. I didn't know if I would see him again, like, because he was practically, like, dead before we even took him to the emergency room that day. Like, he just wasn't functioning. And so I think I was having all the thoughts in my mind, like, you know, am I going to be planning a funeral? Or, like, I really started to have a lot of just doubts. I'd forgotten the, the priesthood blessings that we'd been given. And... It, it's just, I think I was so exhausted by the time that he had his brain surgery because it had been so much stress for the, the previous couple weeks that I was just mentally and physically exhausted. Um, but he, he survived the surgery and, and, um, things, things after that continued to get worse 
And I really started to lose my faith. It seemed like every doctor's appointment that we would go to, we would just get worse and worse news. And 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 I just remember thinking, how how can somebody survive all of this? And at one point, they told him that he may have leptomeningeal disease, which would take his life in a matter of weeks. And and I was just a mess. And I remember just really having to, I just remember thinking to myself, like, I don't, I'm, I'm miserable, I'm scared, I'm letting fear take over my life. And I remember spending an entire weekend just talking to God and praying to God. I needed peace and I needed answers. And I was reading my scriptures and listening to general conference talks and just trying to find that that comfort that I needed. And this may sound silly, but I watched um, that movie, 17 Miracles. Mm. We love it. And it was just like, that was what I needed at that point in my life. Like, all of the faith-filled stories of the pioneers that they went through. And there was this one particular story in the movie that just touched my heart. Sorry, I'm so emotional. Rightfully so. You're totally fine. We adore uh, you. Um, it was this family, and the daughter had frozen in the middle of the night. And so they, the, the ground was frozen, but they left her and put blanket on top of her and put the sticks on top of her, and then they carried on. And the mother, you know, in the movie had made it up the trail a little ways. And she said, wait, don't you remember the blessing that we were given before we made this track design? Do you need me to stop? No, you're good. (laughs) And so the mother runs back to his daughter's frozen body. And the dad's like, just leave her be. She's better off there. And. But this mother has so much faith because she remembered the blessing that she would give it. And so she started to warm up her daughter's body and, and, and she lived. And I just thought, where's my faith gone? You know what I mean? Like, I've been given these blessings and, and I just thought to myself, like, I have to believe that Heavenly Father can take care of Ryan. And that he can heal Ryan no matter how many brain tumors he has and no matter what the doctors are telling us he has. And that was like a huge turning point for me by just remembering the blessings that we'd received and and just knowing and believing that Heavenly Father could take care of anything and everything that we were to endure from that point on. And And that changed me. We went to the doctor's appointment that next whenever it was, it's all a big blur to me. He remembers dates and all that. Yeah. I, it's just a big old mess, but um, we went to that next doctor's appointment and things were even worse. And he had 23 brain tumors and I just felt so much peace. Like I just knew everything was fine. I didn't react the way I've been reacting. I wasn't scared. 
But on the way home, we were driving, and Ryan said, how are you feeling? And I said, I just feel peace. I feel comfort. I feel like everything's going to be fine. And I really had to get to that point. Well, and then carry on a little bit further, the next scan that he had, he had only seven brain tumors after that. And it was almost as if God was saying, there you go, Kim, you've learned. You Now you trust me. That's so beautiful. And I just, he needed me to get to the point where I could just say, Heavenly Father, this is in your hands. Whatever your will is, I trust it more than what I want. You know what I mean? And so from that point on in this whole journey, I've really just been able to say, we're going to do our best. The rest is in your hands. It's in your control. And whatever happens, I know we're going to be okay. And and that was only how long ago from now? Uh, that's been quite a while ago. 14 months. Okay, so that's 14 months isn't quite a while, Kim. 14 <laughs> months is a blink because you think about that. And 14 months ago, you were in this deep, dark, you know, your mind was out of control. You know, you had those fears that were just consuming you to where you sit now. And, and it's still raw and it's still emotional. But you're sitting there with three babies with this man. Where you're right, you have no idea. You have no idea what's going on with the three babies. I mean, there's so many unknowns, and yet you sit there in a whole different mindset only 14 months later. Because you chose to be in control. And prayer is such a huge way. I mean, I personally believe that that is a huge way to control your thoughts and your mind, right? That's how we pray, is through the thoughts that we're thinking in communication with our higher power with God for us, you know? And when you took that opportunity to control your thoughts and really think about what you were thinking about, you were able to allow that peace to come into your life as you let go of trying to control everything. Like that story is just such a beautiful example of this thought work that we are trying to help people understand about, you know, when you choose to be in charge and manage your mind and realize that yes, feel your emotions. Like absolutely. We're not saying don't feel your feelings. That's so important, you know, but don't let them consume you to the point where you live in this place of worry and fear and, and devastation and all of those things that don't allow you to be present in your world with the people that you love, regardless of how much time you have with them. You know, that's where it's at. The fact it really stood out to me when you said that you called your mom on the way to the hospital because you're having a panic attack and just said, talk to me about anything. That is the biggest tool in awareness in coming back to presence. Gaining presence in your life is where your power lies. You know, becoming present again is where you get the opportunity to really manage your mind and manage your thoughts. And so her helping pull you out of that spinning just by talking about breakfast even, like it's so important. That's such a huge, huge thing. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. This concludes part one of our interview with the Dahlbergs. Please tune in again next week for the second half of this powerful conversation. We'd love to connect with you and hear your thoughts and questions. So please reach out to us on social media at The Clarity Call on Instagram and as Clarity Call on Facebook. You can also email us at theclaritycall at gmail.com. And please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'd really love if you could leave us a rating and review. 
We hope you have a fabulous week.